If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And welcome to the Bleacher Connection with your host, Ken and Trevor, part of the Unhinged Radio Network. Uh, network powered by belly up sports you can follow them on twitter at radio unhinged and at belly up sports also follow belly up podcast where you can find all the great podcasts on the networks you can find out new shows from them for those that are and aren't are not on the uh radio airwaves as always you can find trevor and i on social media on twitter trevor's at the bleacher con one and i'm at the bleacher con two and our Facebook page, the Bleacher Connection Podcast. If you go to our Twitter bios and on our Facebook page, you can find our link trees where you'll find our uh, links for Dr. Squatch, All Natural Soap for Men, as well as our merch page. Trevor, how's the move been going? The move has been going. Uh, as I announced on the show last week, my family and I made a, a move within our city that we live in. And I got to admit, I'm pretty excited about where, where I'm at but I'm exhausted. It's been day after day after day, box after box after box after box, a piece of furniture after piece of furniture. <laughs> what, what is the official box count now? I am at about 100 boxes unpacked. Uh, for those that may not know, both Ken and I are actually huge board game geeks. And I had 43 boxes full of board games was the final count to pack and unpack, which took me about four to five hours. So I, I pretty much dedicated one full day to my uh, huge board game collection. And uh, well, it's important to me. So yeah, I've seen the picture of the setup. That, that was wasn't good. work. That yeah. wasn't work. That was fun. Yeah. Well, definitely the, 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 it looks good for how you got it set up. So well, in this week's episode, Ken and I are going to go back to a conversation we had a little bit last week on the show about sports documentaries. Uh, we had a couple that we actually didn't think of that we wanted to discuss. And there was one that came out actually in the last week in the world of hockey that was really good. And we wanted to touch on that one. Both Ken and I, not even talking to each other, sat down and watched it independently and couldn't wait to text each other back and forth. Uh, we're also going to follow up on Are You Kidding Me from last week. We've got the outcome and resolution of the Cut Ken Yemi uh, offer sheet. And we're going to talk about professionals at the Olympics. It was announced this week that the NHL will be going to the Olympics. And Ken and I are going to touch on that uh, topic and whether we think they should be there and what we think those teams might look like as well. So, Ken, why don't you bring the listeners up to speed on last week's Are You Kidding Me? And and let's take off from there. Yeah, so for those that uh, maybe didn't know, the Carolina Hurricanes offer gave an offer sheet to Jesperi Kotkaniemi, and that was last Saturday. Now, the rules of the offer sheet, you have seven days to decide uh, whether you're going to match that or walk away and take the compensation in the form of draft picks. Well, before the, uh, I believe it was 5.30 Eastern deadline on Saturday, Montreal Canadiens made the announcement that they were not going to match the offer sheet. Uh, Yemi was offered 6.1 million with a $15 at the end, um, and a $20 signing bonus. And he's now a Carolina hurricane and not overly surprised by that based on Montreal's cap situation. They are above 
the cap right now until they have two of their players, Paul Byron and Shea Weber, go on long-term injury reserve. So they needed the space. They couldn't sign it. I don't think they value Kotkaniemi as much. Uh, they selected him third overall, and they rushed him. So it's on them for where he's at right now. I think he's going to be a fine player. And the rumor is come January, Carolina is going to have a four-year $16 million extension for him after this season. So that's where we're at. Don Waddell, he had some uh, interesting statements today, Trevor. Uh, what were your thoughts on that? Well, that's where I'm going to take over here, Candid. And last week we called it, are you kidding me? Well, I think Waddell's uh, comments today should lead more to, uh, I think he's full of crap uh, segment. He more or less came out and said this had nothing to do with revenge. This had nothing to do with Sebastian Ajo getting offer sheeted two years ago. This had nothing to do with wanting to get back to the Montreal Canadiens. That's a load of hogwash. We all know that this was all about revenge. Carolina got the revenge they wanted. They got the player they wanted. I'm not convinced it's at the price they wanted, but I do believe that was the cost of doing business here. And if they do get him signed to a four by $4 million type deal, could that be worth it? Maybe. I'm not convinced even then that uh, Kennedy, I mean, he's a $4 million player. Maybe he evolves into one. Maybe he evolves into much more than that. And he just wasn't given the opportunity in Montreal, which I think he was, I think he actually may have been rushed as you mentioned. So I'm really interested to see where, this goes from here does the animosity between the uh, canadians and the hurricanes continue or is this now you know over further to the the carolina hurricanes getting cut can cut can and yemi montreal essentially used the draft pick compensation of a first and a third though they paid a first and a second to flip those picks to phoenix or arizona the coyotes for a Christian Dvorak, a solid move by the Canadians, in my opinion. I think it might have been a bit of an overpay, a first and a second for. Uh, I think he's 27, 28, Has never really twenty five. He's he's twenty five. Twenty five. Okay, I thought he was a little bit older. For a guy who hasn't really popped yet, seems like a steep price, but they get him signed for a little bit more cost certainty than it would have been for six point one million with uh, Kanyemi. So I guess they filled a hole. I'm not a huge fan of the trade. I just, I feel like it's a very steep price. I know Calgary Flames Nation has been salivating over Dvorak for weeks, if not months now. I don't personally see it. You got a, a let's say, 20-goal guy on a last-place team. To me, that's not worth a first and a second. But I understand from the Montreal Canadiens' perspective needing to fill a positional void. And they went ahead and did that. So Mark Bergevin didn't uh, sit on his hands. He wasn't twiddling his thumbs and he went and did something with the compensation he got. So all in all, I guess you could say both sides kind of win. Maybe did they, did either team really get impact players? I don't know if they did, but both teams ended up filling a hole. Christian Dvorak's got 302 games played 67 goals, 79 assists, for 146 points, and yes, he's on Arizona. So that explains his minus 19. Gasperi Kotkaniemi has played 171 games, 22 goals, 40 assists for 62 points, and he's a minus 11. Dvorak's four years older than him. And for kind of what they did looking at it, they, they only scored 12 more goals than Kotkaniemi did last year. And I can't remember who pointed it out, but through all the analytics, which I don't necessarily pay attention to because I don't think they, they are the be all and end all. But when Dvorak didn't play with Connor Garland last year, his production went down. And while Connor Garland is a Vancouver Canuck now, and doesn't really matter because Dvorak's a Montreal Canadian, but is Dvorak able to drive it himself, which if was that a concern Montreal had with Kakanyemi. So are they getting an upgrade or are they getting a similar player four years older and closer to UFA? 
I don't think they're getting an upgrade really. I think this is a, a non-playoff team making a move for the sake of making a move. Like that, that's a pretty steep capital to pay for a team that plays in the hardest division in hockey and is arguably the fifth or sixth best team in that division behind Tampa Bay, Boston, Florida, Toronto, then maybe Montreal. I don't understand how a team can throw away a first-round draft pick when you're not going to be a playoff team. That could be a lottery pick. Well, and here's the thing. They didn't – they traded their own. They didn't flip Carolinas. They traded whichever one is the better of the two. Okay, yeah. So the, there are some, you know, conditions put on it. Okay. So – because, yeah, if you're Montreal, you're not making the playoffs in the East this year. There's no way in hell. That team is not going to be able to produce what they did coming out of the uh, regular Eastern division. They're going to be lower. They can't, they're not going to pull it off. They had a horrible Canucks team and a, a bad flames team and the senators to beat up on. And that's how they got in. Right. It, it they caught fire at the right time, but they're in a lot tougher position this year where they're going to have to play Tampa. They're going to have to play Carolina. They're going to have to play the Islanders and Bruins and every other better team in the East that was in the North division last year. So yeah, that is a steep price to pay for a guy who's four years older and really doesn't tip the needle that much more than what you already had. Well, even if they do sneak in somehow they do sneak in, do you really see them beating Tampa Bay, Boston? No, no. No, they'll be an eighth place, eighth place team at best if they make it. And that's a huge if. And I understand Bergevin. I kept people were saying this about a team that just went to the Stanley Cup finals. But Bergevin is GMing for his job still. Because if he doesn't, if the team misses the playoffs next year, I just don't see Habs ownership holding on to him. I still think he's GMing for his life, much like, in Calgary and Vancouver, where we see those guys GMing for their lives as well. I don't think ownership's going to give Bergevin a long leash. And this is a, a steep price to pay for an okay player. He's a good player, but he's not, not like you mentioned, he's not a, a needle mover at all. He's a good, decent player, but for a first and a second, that just, that screams of desperation. Yeah. Desperation. Exactly. Is exactly the word I was looking for. It screams of desperation. I feel like he could have got that trade done for a second and a third and not a first and a second. So with this whole scenario, I'm actually more intrigued by what Montreal did here than by what Carolina did. Carolina signed the player they wanted. They got him. Montreal then reacted, which was, I, I appreciate the fact they needed to, they had to, they had to fill a void. They reacted, but I feel like they, out of desperation, reacted a little too strongly and this could be this could be a trade that actually sets the franchise back especially if it turns out to be a pretty high draft pick and what's supposed to be a pretty solid draft class so i'm fascinated to see where it goes from here for both teams they they are still sitting because it's a 2024 second rounder so Next year, they, they still will have a first-round pick. They still will have a second-round pick. They're going to have three-thirds, two-fourths. So they still have a chance to put some more you know, cookies in the cupboard, for lack of a better term. But it's a desperate move because that team was a Stanley Cup finalist by the situation of the pandemic and how it was built last year. That team is not built for the – for the long haul in the playoffs to be successful. I'm sorry. Like they, they made the playoffs the year before cause it was expanded. Chicago and Montreal were the 23rd and 24th teams. And by luck of Chicago playing uh, the Oilers, they moved on, but yeah, they, neither one of those teams should have been in the playoffs the year before either. So again, and Montreal only made it last year because Calgary and Vancouver just managed to play worse than. Yeah. And they caught lightning in a bottle. I'll give them credit for that. The way they played in the playoffs, full marks. I'll give them credit. They beat some good teams. I had no belief that they would get past the Vegas Golden Knights, but 
they played a brand of hockey that was conducive to winning, but they're not bringing back that team next year. There's no, no Weber. Like, they, there's no Philip to know on this team anymore. And I, they have not replaced to know in my opinion. No, and, you know, their penalty kill is going to take a huge step back. So we shall see where this one goes for both the Canadians yeah. and Atlanta hurricanes moving forward. Yeah. They, they OT lost their way into the playoffs. Absolutely. They did. They had less wins than the Calgary flames and, and they made it into the playoffs. So they, they were, they got in by, by losing games, which is, and that's, I hate that easy that a, a team could go to the Stanley Cup finals that way. Yeah. I absolutely hate the overtime loss point. That, that's, a com- that's a topic for a whole other show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you, Habs Nation, what do you guys think? Are you in favor of the moves that they did? Should they let Kotkaniemi walk? I think they made the right move there. I'd love to hear from you guys. Reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at the BleacherCon1, and Ken is at the BleacherCon2. So moving on into a continuation of our main topic from last week, and that is sports documentaries. And last week we discussed uh, Malice in the Palace, um, the last dance with the Chicago Bulls. There was one major documentary that we completely omitted by accident that came out in, I believe it was January, January, February of 2021. And that was the Tiger Woods documentary on uh, HBO, I believe it aired on. And that was another amazing documentary. Ken, I don't know if you watched it or not, but it was well worth, we should have discussed it last week. It was a, an omission about both of our parts. It took a deep dive into his relationship with not only his parents, his golf coaches, his family, his addictions. It was, in my opinion, a very honest and open look at, at Tiger Woods and was very revealing of what made him tick and also what made him crumble. And, and to me, it was very, very well done. And we, we glossed over it last week in complete error. And it was a, it, we shouldn't have, it was, it was that good. We should not have. Yeah, no, I, I haven't seen that one yet. It is on, it is on the list. Um, I know you and our other friend, Jeff, you guys have both watched it and you were, we were all texting together and, and you guys were talking about it. And it, it sounds very interesting and, really, as you say, enlightens everyone into what his world was like outside of golf and before the fame. And um, I haven't seen it, so I can't talk too much about it, but it definitely piqued my interest when you guys were, were talking about it. What I found it real fascinating about it was it, it showed some of his early years before he was famous, before he was Tiger Woods, professional golfer, it, it interviewed what could have potentially been his first girlfriend back in high school and how he was this geeky kid that, you know, his parents wouldn't ever let him come out and he stuck out one time. It just, it took such a deep dive because he's such a huge personality in the world of professional sports. And it really humanized him. I'm going to say made him a real person and the, the whole talk on his addictions and struggle with painkillers and alcohol and, everything again it was it it peeled back the layers of the onion of depression and mental illness and to me that is powerful that those types of discussions are powerful and that's why I really appreciated it I think when you get an athlete like Tiger Woods who was so dominant from the word go you know you know the first time they said on the first tee Tiger Woods, he, he, he dominated the PGA for so long and you didn't see any flaws. So a documentary like this sounds like it goes into and shows you that Tiger Woods, despite being one of the world's best golfers, is human. He has the same issues, the same problems as everyone else except for he has to hide it from the world, literally the world, not just the world around him. And I think, yeah, like it, it is on my list of ones to watch. Um, 
because it does sound very interesting because you guys said that there was it showed some of the dynamic between him and his father now without giving too much away for obviously myself and others but <laughs> what isn't it what you saw versus how it was a little bit different yeah it was very much it went into more of his father's attitude towards him and how he really pushed him maybe stronger than he should have and as well as his mother and then it really dove into some of the issues that his father had that also kind of may have passed down to him kind of a, let's call it a monkey see monkey do type relationship so i'm not going to give away too much but it really really dove into his relationships kind of outside of the golf course and into his home which again really uh in my opinion humanized tiger woods and made him almost an everyday person so can i highly suggest you watch it it is well worth i think it's roughly three hours it's well worth that time let's move on to a documentary that both you and i have watched and it came out this week on netflix ken have at her yeah another netflix untold docuseries uh again they are just knocking these out of the park these are marcus simeon three run walk off home run type quality uh it was untold crime and penalties so this one goes into it's about the danbury trashers a <laughs> features what they call the jimmy galante the real life tony soprano who buys a uhl hockey team minor hockey team uh essentially for his son and so you, you got the mob ties you got fbi you got all these it, it's an insane watch just 17 year old kid is given the keys to an, uh, a professional hockey franchise as gm and president and all he knows like he grew up loving hockey because of the mighty ducks so i don't know if we can blame them for this um lack of a better term shit show but <laughs> You know, this was this is what happened, and I loved it. It was so, it was good. It was really interesting. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't tell at times if I was watching a documentary or a scripted movie based on some of the things that went on. It and again, if you haven't seen it, try not to spoil it too much. But it is definitely worth watching. It, it was really good. I with you on that one. It was very much like is this real? Like, did this really happen? And then they're interviewing some of the guys you got, uh, Mark, was it Mark Rupp of the New Jersey Devils ends up playing there and he's yeah. like, this happened, this happened. And you got like the, the commissioner of the UHL pretty much at the start where he's like, I got to stop these guys. This is ridiculous. And then at the end of the movie, he's kind of like, well, I hate to say it, but these guys were actually kind of geniuses and they did a lot of good for our league. And then he kind of got the whole mob ties. And it was just very much like, this can't be real. Like, this is a made-for-TV special on ESPN. No, no, this happened. It was, the, you got the trainer talking about how wonderful, you know, cocaine is a good drug. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, what is going on here? If, I, if you, if you It was well done. Yeah, if you ever want to have a crossover of a movie and a TV series, it would have, been like taking the sopranos and slapshot and melding them together um just insane insane but what a 17 year old kid for how it messed up everything was did to build a fan base around a third tier minor league hockey team it was it was crazy those people loved it and yeah it, it, it was insane it was it was the wwe people that showed up and it was like man this guy's got pull this guy has got some serious pull to get some of the people to show up that he did it was insane what i appreciated about it was he had a vision the, the family had a vision the galliante family and it was, we're going to be the bad boys and we're going to play to that. And what was it? Two seconds into the inaugural game. There's a, like a, a massive fight. Oh yeah. As soon as, as soon as the puck they dropped. had a vision, they had a vision 
and they followed through on it and they were kind of like it, it almost reminded me of when this, the Canadian Football League back in the 90s really wanted to kind of be the, you know, our balls are bigger than the NFL type. It had a vision and it was kind of cutting edge. It really reminded me of it because they, they kind of went against the anti-establishment of hockey where it was like, oh, we all, you know, we have to give 110% and we can't say anything unscripted and we have to, you know, hockey cliche this, hockey cliche that. They totally went against it. They had a, we're going to be the bad boys. We're going to play to be the bad boys. We're going to do logos playing up that image. We're going to get a broadcaster who plays up that image. They did everything. That is what I appreciated about. Sure, he had some cocky teenager running it who thought that his family was the king shit of it all and better than everyone else. But I have to give them credit. They followed through on what they were going to do. And unfortunately it only lasted for one, one season, I believe. No, no, of, it was, it was more than one. Was it more than one season? It was because they won the cup. They won the cup the first season. I and thought they lost the first season. That was the, no, they won it, but then they, they lost the next year or two years. It ran from Oh four. I want to say till at least Oh six. I think there was two, three seasons and it was, they won the first one, then they lost to Kalamazoo in in the final that uh, that one year. But yeah, they they did win it like almost right off the hop that first season. And I don't know if it was just because everyone else was scared of hell to play for play, play against them. But yeah, they built something in that community where that team hasn't existed for close to fifteen years, and the one section section one hundred two. They still get together for reunions. They still miss that team. It's it's insane. They built something. They built something. And that, like you say, it's kind of incredible. Did you see today, it was either today or yesterday on Twitter, Drake actually came out in a 17 Galliente jersey of the trashers. It's, yeah, yeah. You know, how many of those are going to sell over the next you know six months? It's it's almost like a revival for the hockey team as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Like they're this documentary, this docuseries has put the the spotlight on them again. And yeah, I thought what was funny is the things they didn't talk about, which is probably code for there's still an impending case ongoing. Uh, it was great though. Really, really, really loved it. I know uh, there's a couple more that got lined up and I know there's one on Caitlyn Jenner and then there's another one on, I can't remember. There's a golfer. I think they did another one on as well. There, there are more of these coming out. And again, I can't wait for them because they're so good. If they're as good a quality as this one was, then I'll definitely watch them too. It was, I was very impressed. I saw it come on and I just saw the trailer and I'm like, it was like 10.30 at night, and I'm like, oh, I'm watching this. Like, I don't care if I'm starting this late. I am watching this, and yeah. I'm not let down. If you have not seen it yet, it's a must-watch. Whether you're a hockey fan or not, this is a must-watch because you're going to be like, this actually happened? It's that good. So highly recommend it. Give your take the hour and a half out of your day. Watch it. It's that good. Absolutely. Okay, well, we would love to hear from you guys again. Are we missing any sports documentaries over the last two episodes? We've watched some good ones. We've talked about some good ones. We'd love to hear from you. I'm at the BleacherCon 1. Ken is at the BleacherCon 2. And moving on to our main topic of the day, it was announced earlier this week that the NHL will be participating in the 2022 Olympics. Ken, what are your, what was your initial reaction to this announcement? And... Are you excited? My initial reaction is kind of goes along with my excitement level. Sure. Okay. Um, I, yeah, it, it provides the best on best. Problem is, is by the time when these games are played, we're not going to be able to see them live. So you're going to hear the score before you can watch the game, which unless it's the gold medal game or a medal round, are you going to end up watching it? Uh, what it, will it do to the NHL season? 
it's a disruption in the middle of the season where there's already a potential disruption sitting waiting called COVID, called a pandemic. I don't know what to think. Overall, my view on professionals in the Olympics probably doesn't sit with the majority. But I will watch if I if they're on at a reasonable time, I will enjoy it. I do like it. But yeah, I mean, my big thing is what's this going to do to the season? I know the players want to go and they pushed hard because part of it is the insurance. If they get sick, if they get COVID over there, that's all on them. There's no insurance for that. So it's a huge risk. I mean, are we going to get the best on best? Yes. Did I enjoy the Olympic hockey in 2018 in Pyeongchang? Yeah. Wasn't pros, but still enjoyed it. I don't know. I, I guess I'll watch. I'm excited somewhat, but at the same time, kind of not. I can understand that sentiment where you're coming from. I personally am very excited, but I'm going to temper that a little bit because you brought up a really good point. These games are not going to be on in a prime time in the Western hemisphere. Uh, I may be getting up very early in the morning or staying up very late into the morning to watch some of these games. So that could uh, dampen it a little bit, but when you're talking best on best, Hockey is one of the one of the the premier uh, events that you get it in. You get the NBA players in the Summer Olympics. I'm sorry, that tournament's never in doubt. The United States is going to win that tournament. They it has gotten better, though. It, it has gotten better, but there, there's just not a whole lot of uncertainty heading into that tournament. When you're talking hockey, there's a ton of uncertainty because there's four, five, six nations that can legitimately win the gold medal. Is Canada the favorites? Absolutely. Is Team USA going to have a formidable team that they ice? Absolutely. Team Sweden is going to be phenomenal. So Russia. Russia, of course. Finland. Russia. Finland. Like you've got five powerhouses that any of them can win. Germany's even come a long way in the last few years. There's more uncertainty in this, which is why I think best on best hockey at the Olympics is awesome. It is awesome. But we are going to, it's not going to be as good because we're not going to be watching in prime time. And it's also going to be on the larger ice surface, I believe. Or is it going to be on NHL ice? I'm very interested to see how, what way that does go. It might be on NHL ice because it's not in a traditional European market. I hope it is because I feel like when it's on the NHL sized ice and not the European sized ice, major difference in the quality of the hockey. So to me, that's a, a major factor in how good the tournament will be. But when I heard they were going, yes, I was very excited. So I'm going to ask a question because the games are in Beijing. If they were not in Beijing and the NHL was not trying to break into that market, would the league have even considered going? No, because we saw that in 2018 with Pyeongchang. Like, yeah. There, there's a reason they didn't go there. and There's a reason they are going to Beijing. And there's a reason why they miraculously came up with some insurance money, though not COVID money. There's a reason they miraculously came up with this stuff and that's because they do want to try to grow the game there. And that is another major reason why the NHLers should be at the Olympics. Hockey needs growth badly. And maybe Team USA wins the gold medal. And then all of a sudden, you've got a whole bunch of 12-year-old kids in the United States that all of a sudden want to play hockey. These are a, a, a spectacle of the best players in the world. And it is a spectacle for the game of hockey that both you and I love and for the NHL. This is, in my opinion, badly needed. The NHL players need, should be at every Olympics, in my opinion, because they need to grow the game. They need to grow the game, especially coming out of the pandemic. They have to be there. They really do. And that's where I don't, 
I don't know if I necessarily 100% agree because you look at hockey has professional leagues and they're not NHL caliber, but there's still good hockey being played all through Europe, all through Russia, lots of different places. What I'm worried about is China's going to be in there because they're the host country, so they're in. What happens when they play their round-robin games and get destroyed 25 nothing every game? Like, what potential does that have to do for damage versus build the game? I think it's more about the, the star power that's there. And I'm going to revert back to the last dance sports documentary when the Chicago Bulls went to France, I believe it was. And Michael Jordan mania was there and the Bulls played a tournament against all these uh, French basketball teams. They blew them away. It didn't matter. It was all about the exposure of the actual personalities of the players. And this is where I think the NHL has to hit a home run. They need to make the players accessible to the media and let them have some personality towards the media and let's grow the game based on these guys' personalities. That's why they're there. Everybody knows China's going to get demolished in, in all their games, but it's not about that. It's about the, it's about Connor McDavid. It's about Jack Eichel. It's about Elias Pedersen. Those guys, it's about Alex Ovechkin. It's not about who actually wins the gold medal and who wins what game. It's about promoting those personalities and those talents of the league. Yeah, I mean, the league already goes over to China for preseason games. They go to Germany, they go to Sweden. They, they do those games throughout the year already. And I think when you bring up Jordan and the Bulls going to, to France and that, I mean, was that the NBA growing their game and showcasing their best or was that Nike showcasing because Nike's a worldwide does it matter does it matter well is it more so they know one team one player or is it they're more interested in the league again I don't think that matters it's the players are the ones that make up the league and if it's one player or it's a handful of players if you can gain the exposure and gain fans and lifelong fans as a result of it. If you can gain a hundred thousand hockey fans in China because of these Olympics job to well done, you're hoping to gain a hundred million, but I don't think that's feasible, but even if not, even just in China and some of those other Eastern Asian markets, if you could somehow gain a little bit of exposure for a league that otherwise has none there, great. You've done what you needed to do. I 100% support them going and I, I don't think it's a matter of the results, but I do think it's a matter of the quality of the hockey they're going to get to see. There's a major difference between seeing the Boston Bruins play the Calgary Flames in China than getting to see Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid, Nathan McKinnon, and Team Canada against Patrick Kane and Jack Eichel of Team USA. Like, there's no comparison there. So it's all about the spectacle, the spectacle that is, and the quality of the hockey they'll get to see. Couldn't the NHL do this where it benefits them? Because the, the NHL is not going to see any, any financial benefit from the Olympics directly. That, I disagree. I disagree. And I'll, I'll jump in. After. No, no. I, the, the, they go to the Olympics and the games, they don't, they don't make anything off the Olympic games. Right. Like the, the actual countries, the, the IOC collects every cent that goes into that. The, they're not giving anything back to the NHL for their time and the players that are going. So the NHL has done piss poor job of doing it, but the World Cup of Hockey, that there is would be their tournament, their thing to run, and they could do it at a time that doesn't disrupt the middle of a season. It doesn't take away from potential playoff races, teams on a hot streak trying to get up the standings, and also potentially losing a player for an amount of time because they get hurt at this thing, right? The NHL, if they did a proper job of promoting the World Cup of Hockey, using the World Championships as a qualifying-type tournament, 
they could absolutely grow it, but they'd have to do it consistently every year. And you could do it and take it where it needs to go so that you're showcasing. Again, when it comes to the World Cup of Hockey, it wouldn't just be NHLers, but you still would have the best on best and it doesn't hurt your product. Okay, well, I'm gonna. You say the NHL has nothing to gain financially. I, I wholeheartedly disagree with that. What if Connor McDavid scores a highlight reel goal in overtime to win the gold medal, and you sell 10 million Connor McDavid jerseys in China as a result? You don't think there's a financial benefit of that, and not a knockoff jersey either, an actual real licensed NHL apparel. To me, this is all about trying to sell NHL apparel in China as a result of getting to see the, the game on the grandest stage of them all with the best players. This is all about money for the NHL and selling jerseys. That is there. That is why, and that's why I disagree with you that there is money to be made tons of it. Like you're talking about a population of over a billion people. If you get 1% of that population to buy a Jersey as a result of these Olympics, you're coming out way ahead. So, yes, there is a huge financial gain for them. They're not seeing, they're seeing them score that goal in a Team Canada jersey. Not, there's nothing on there that says Oilers. So, if they really sure, don't but know, they're, the they're game, still going to go, what team is he on? And you're going to get them buying Edmonton Oilers, Edmonton Oilers, Connor McDavid jerseys or, or a, an Alex Ovechkin Capitals jersey. Like, you're still going to sell those jerseys because you're going to have put them on display to a huge audience. Yeah, I I mean, I watch it. I'm not trying to completely crap on it. I do watch it. I just, I think there's different ways you could showcase the, the NHL talent and a best on best that benefits the league more where you could and do I, something. I wholeheartedly agree with that. I definitely agree with that. The World Cup of Hockey should absolutely be held every two years. They said they were going to do it, and they didn't. Absolutely, it should be held every two years. Get I don't mean, the prestige of the Canada Cup of in the you know the seventies and eighties. Get it back to that prestige where it was like you were just as excited to win that as the Olympic gold medal. And I think the Olympic gold medal will still trump any tournament that comes out of this. And I still think the NHL players should be in the Olympics every four years, but you should also have a tournament that means something that is best on best every two years at minimum, because it's exciting. It's great for the game. People want to see Connor. Oh, I don't, but people want to see Connor McDavid in a team Canada jersey. People are salivating for it. People want to see Jack Eichel, Patrick Kane in a team USA jersey. You know, how many Flames fans would still, Calgary Flames fans would buy a Johnny Goudreau Team USA jersey? Tons. They want to see this. You want to see Matthew Kachuk play for Team USA against Connor McDavid and Team Canada. Like, you'd still want to see that. And I think the NHL should be promoting something that they run ahead of the Olympics. But every two years, there should be a best on best. No questions asked. Yeah, I mean, I'd even go every four years for the World Cup of Hockey. So that because I mean, you look at what FIFA does with their World Cup of uh, Soccer. That's every four years. It still drives that prestige of the event. That it's uh, you. You got to work to get there. It's not a gimme. Every two years, right? Yeah, like, I, even, can, I can give you that. Even if you did every four years, you could drop it in between an Olympic year, so that. Olympics, two years, World Cup hockey, two years, Olympics, right? You, you're, you're still getting it every other year, but if you do it every two years, eventually you may run into the Olympics and that's just too much. Well, no, I think you would intentionally skip the Olympics, Olympic years. So I think, I think I, you know what, Ken, you and I are talking about the same thing. If you run them every four years, but offset them by two years, you're, then you're doing exactly what we're both saying here. And you get a best on best essentially every two years, but I'll give you the point on the, on the, the world cup of soccer. That's a bigger event though. Like that is a worldwide event. I don't think you could do that every two years. I think hockey, you could, because how many of the young players 
Connor McDavid is what 24, 25 now, 24. We haven't seen him put on a team Canada Jersey. I'm sorry. I still want to see that. I, you know, pains me to say that I want to see 97 wear the red and white and score a ridiculous goal against team Russia that I get to cheer. I still want to see that. And I think once you see it in the Olympics in a couple of years, you're going to get reinvigorated on that and go, yeah, I want to see this more often. I just, my big thing, well, before I get kind of into where I'm a little hesitant to on it is, have you noticed that since Zach Hyman went to the Oilers, his name has not made it onto any projected 2022 uh, rosters since he's no longer a Maple Leaf and that uh, media center has kind of forgotten about him? Well, Morgan Riley's on a couple of the projected rosters, so I think he's... Of course he is. <laughs> but you had, you had brought up a good point before the show that I think we really need to hit on, and you said professional athletes shouldn't be in the Olympics. And my argument to that is, what's the difference between Sidney Crosby and Usain Bolt? They're the best athletes in their sport. You could put Kevin Durant in there. You could put Michael Jordan at the time. What's the difference in having the best athletes in the world represent the sports, your sport on the biggest stage in the world? I know it's about sponsorships and money and playing a professional league. Who cares? What is the difference between Usain Bolt and Sidney Crosby? Well, the difference is, and the why I have an issue with it is because the Olympic Committee treats it differently it's no longer about the best amateur athletes in the world which is what the olympics was always about before the dream team ever existed in the whatever 90s olympics they went to for basketball it was always the best amateur athletes in the world and if you turned pro you were you couldn't qualify for the olympics anymore my big problem with that is it's a lot harder to be an amateur now in, in a lot of sports. So there's that. But you could take NCAA older junior players to the Olympics for hockey. Basketball's the same. My problem is it with it is if you are a professional, and we'll just stick with hockey now, you're a professional hockey player making millions and millions and millions of dollars to play the game that you love and spend your life training for, you can go. But if you're, say, a figure skater, you have to stay amateur. Yes, you get what sponsors you can get and any subsidies that you can get from your government and things like that. But if you turn pro, you're no longer eligible to be an Olympian Olympic figure skater because you get paid to do what you love and make a living out of it. That's my issue with that part of it. And you brought up the uh, winning. You do get a purse for winning a medal. And let's see here in the U S an athlete would win 37,500 U S dollars for a gold medal, 15,000 for a bronze. And then it, silver falls in between. Canada is a whopping 15,000 for a gold medal, US dollars, and 8,000 for a bronze. Now, the top paying countries is Singapore at a million US for a gold, 250,000 for a bronze, and half a million for a silver. Indonesia, Kazakhstan, and Azerbaijan are right there in the quarter of a million for a gold. It's not even even for what countries pay their athletes for being the best in the world. These, these athletes don't always have Usain Bolt type sponsors paying for their training and everything else. And that's where I think the unfair advantage comes in when you allow true professionals to come into it. And Usain Bolt has, I don't know that there is a professional track league that he could go on and do this in. These guys that are at the top of the game, are they're going to get paid by sponsors because that's how their product is going to get seen and endorsed. They don't all get it. The, the top line, you know, you take a, 
an NHLer who's fourth line in and out of the lineup is still making $750,000 minimum contract. That's, that's part of my issue with it, where you have an NBA is making hundreds of millions of dollars versus, you know, Italy, where these guys are pure amateurs, not making anything. Basketball has gotten closer, but other sports, tennis, golf, everything else, it's just getting a little much. But you, you brought up the point that the Olympics is supposed to be a showcase of the greatest athletes that the sport has to offer. Amateurs. It was always supposed to be amateur athletes because you had. Why, why does it have to be amateurs? It should be the greatest athletes the sports has to offer. And I would much rather the Olympics is the grandest stage of everything, of all sporting events. The Olympics is the grandest stage. You win an Olympic you're, if you're an Olympic champion, that tells you I'm the best at this in the world. To name yourself that, you have to be going up against the best talent in the world. If Sidney Crosby is not at the Olympics and you win an Olympic gold medal, yet didn't, you aren't the greatest hockey player in the world. So I don't know how you can make an argument where, where you shouldn't have professionals there. They're professionals for a reason because they're the best athletes in the world in the sport i think it's ridiculous that it used to be only amateur athletes that's ridiculous get the best athletes in the world there and you get the best competition and the olympic hockey comp men's hockey competition and women's because you still get the two best teams there even though it's predetermined it's the best competition that you can get and it's the best showcase of the sport. And to me, that's the only argument. It was amateurs because the, the, uh, there were professional leagues for the rest of them. And they did showcase the best on best. And you had that called the NBA, the NHL, the PGA, the LPGA, um, the men's and women's tennis associations. You had that. You had the best on best professional athletes there. And you had the amateurs was at the Olympics. Now I'm fine. If they want to just drop that whole thing and make everyone can be a professional, I'll stop. I'll fine. I won't say anything more about it because they'll at least make it even. I don't like the disparity of one sport because it'll bring the IOC more money, allowing professionals in and telling someone who can barely get by sometimes no, sorry, you can't turn pro and make a living at what you do because otherwise you won't be able to compete. Oh, but I, here you go. The majority of the sports have gone, like it's not just hockey and basketball. You now have tennis, you have golf, you have soccer, you have the women's beach volleyball. There's a, a, they're in professional leagues that they tour around in and they all go to the Olympics. Like I think this idea of the amateur athlete just doesn't exist anymore when it comes to the Olympics because – you have all these players and athletes coming from professional leagues. It's all over now where they're taking the best of the best to the Olympics. And to me, that is the right way to do it. I love the idea of the amateur athlete and, you know, the Olympic dream, but if that's the grandest showcase, let's have the grandest showcase in my opinion, but let's move on here, Ken, because we got one more topic. We want to, I just wanted one thing. Sorry, just before I go, the IOC takes in about three to four billion. Took it in, sorry, three to four billion from just this 2020 Olympics. Now, if you want to do that, how hard would it be for the IOC to actually pay these athletes then? To pay them money, three to four billion. They're not paying for the venues, they're not paying for any of the infrastructure. That's up to the host city, country. So why can't then the IOC pay the athletes first to last some kind of money that would make it so that they could live through the next four years in training to get there? To no, me, that, do that. That's then. a good point. I think that's a very fair point. That's my issue with it and why I don't like the professionals there because they punish other athletes that don't have the opportunity to make millions of dollars doing what they do. That's my issue with it, right? And if yeah, they I, if they went away from that, that. I can get away from that. it. I'd be all fine for it. Yep. Well, leading back to the uh, the lead of the 
the topic that was the men's Olympic team or the NHL saying they're going to the Olympics. Ken, we're both Western Canadian boys and we're going to cheer on Team Canada. We've seen a few projected rosters out there so far. And I want to let you go. Is there, who's on Ken's Team Canada? If it was released tomorrow, who's playing on it and who's not? Well, because the options are so much. I think I'm looking at Craig Button's roster and I can understand a little bit why he only was your GM for a short period of time and hasn't gotten another job. But I'll take a look at Craig Button's roster and I'll, I'll make some cuts. And this is off tsn.ca. Yes. So he's got Carey Price, Marc-Andre Fleury, and Darcy Kemper in net. Well, I'm somewhat all right with the first two names. Darcy Kemper, I don't know. Like Third goalie, sure. I, I honestly don't know who would take his spot because some of the Canadian goalies there have fallen off a little bit when you, looked at, when you look at some of them. But, I mean, he's got Shea Theodore, Alex Petrangelo, Jacob Chitrin, Kale McCarr, Darnell Nurse, Dougie Hampton, Morgan Riley, Drew Doughty. Well... Drew Doughty does not make my team. Drew Doughty is absolutely a first cut from previous uh, returnees because I, I shouldn't be there because of reputation, and that's what that pick is. I think if anyone thinks Drew Doughty should be on Team Canada, I have been very critical of his play. Uh, he's not the Drew Doughty he was in 2014 and, and at other times. Uh, Darnell Nurse... Yeah, possibly, you know. Yeah, I could see that. I, I can that pick. Yeah, Jacob Chitrin. Mm, I don't know. I think there could be some other ones, other ones out there. Uh, I, I will say yes. Zach Hyman's name has been removed from many of the projected rosters I have seen. But Jonathan Huberto, Connor McDavid, Nathan McKinnon, Brad Marchand, Crosby, Bergeron, Ryan O'Reilly, Shifley, Raiden Point. Yeah, Mitch Marner, Mark Stone. The one I, I got to look at here, Nick Suzuki. I don't know. One good, no he had a good year, but no, he's not no. there yet. Um, it's tough. Like, I mean, you can't, you could probably pick a A, B, and C team with what you have for Team Canada, really. So I think if you want to talk about possibilities on the outside knocking on the door, Yanni Gordon, Bo Horvat probably are a couple of those guys. Um, I don't I, I mean, for my team from the Canucks, Horvat would probably be one guy, but I don't think he's gonna gonna beat anyone out unless something drastic happens, maybe an injury or two. But what about you? Who who's your dark horse? Like, well, the guy that's not on this team, and I think is clearly on this team, is Steven Stamkos, two-time Stanley Cup champion, could be three-time year next year. I think Steven Stamkos should be on this team, playing alongside his. Teammate Braden Point. They got a guy like Yanni Gord. I can't see it. He's a good player, but injuries you know, though. Lots of injuries. I, I'm sorry, Yanni Gord or John Tavares as a fourth line center. I'll take John Tavares. Like there, there is no salary cap on Team Canada here, so I don't know why you're worried about guys like Yanni Gord, Nick Suzuki. That there's no. John Tavares is definitely on there. You guys like Sean Couturier, Matt Barzell. Like Matt Barzell is better than Yanni Gord. You get that guy yep. on a power play with Connor McDavid. I'm sorry, that, that'd be electric. Uh, Jared Spurgeon, maybe as a defenseman in place of a guy like Darnell Nurse or, or Chitrin. Or Chitrin, like Drew Doughty, I guess, if he has a back season. I don't see it happening. No. Um, I. There's so, you just said it, there's so many good options for Team Canada. You, you could go and take, and I'm just going to throw this name out there, not there's even a chance. You could put Sean Monaghan on the fourth line of Team Canada because that team's so deep and still win a gold medal. Like, there's just so many good players to choose from. And I'm only picking Monaghan because he's a Calgary Flame, and not that he would get there, but that there's, there's so many good Canadian players that aren't even in this conversation because there's so many good Canadian players. And 
however you slice it, there is going to be superstars not on this team. And there's not going to be Zach Hyman on this team. Yeah. Last note before we wrap it up here. There's a lot of debate over it. I think it's pretty simple, though. Team Canada captain, McDavid or Crosby? Well, it's Crosby. Not even – there was a dumb tweet on Twitter about two weeks ago about how 97 in Edmonton is, is the captain of this team, and I'm sorry that guy got roasted. No doubt who the captain is. No doubt. Yeah, McDavid's only captain of the world championship team because they're not in the playoffs. All right, so what, who do you think should be on Team Canada for the Olympics here? We got some time to, to go it over. Let us know. Trevor's at the BleacherCon 1. I'm at the BleacherCon 2. That's our show for the week. We want to thank everyone for tuning in. We'll be back next two weeks. We're going to have shows giving our off-season grades for the NHL off-season here. So we're going to split it up. We're going to cover that. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Thanks, everyone.